My name's Steve Wallen. I'm the campus pastor for our Carmel campus, and, uh, but I'm really glad to be here. I bring you greetings from uh, the city of Carmel, from the people of Carmel, uh, where it's always sunny and 72 degrees. It's a beautiful place. Uh, and uh, I want to tell you I'm really glad to be here this morning. I love uh, our congregation at Carmel. I love uh, what's going on, what God is doing in Carmel, and you guys are a big part of that. And, you know, uh, two, about two years ago now, you guys stepped out in faith and sent some of your uh, best people and some of your best resources over to Carmel to help start that campus. And I just want to let you know that it's growing and uh, people are finding their way back to God there. It's been an amazing thing. Yeah, it's been incredible. Even in the summer when everybody is away, we're meeting new families that are coming uh, every week to, to our Carmel campus. And so thank you for that. Um, but this will always have a special place in my heart because uh, it was this week I will celebrate my three-year anniversary on staff at Genesis Church. I'll be here for three years. Yeah, thank you. Um, and I'm still here. They're still letting me, uh, they're still letting me stay around every week. Um, but I've been here for three years, and this is where it all started for me. Like in ministry, this is where this stage right here is where it started for me. And so thank you for letting me be a part of that. But it's also got a special place in my heart because, um, well, my kids go to school in Noblesville. We live in Noblesville. Our family is here. And that means, of course that this is the last week of summer break for our family. And I know some of you parents are like, yes, it's time to send kids back to school. And some of you are like, oh no, I can't believe my little baby's going back to school. Or maybe you're sending them to school for the first time. Oh man, what a scary time. And for us, it's less about having the kids gone and out of the house. And it's more about, we're a little nervous about homework because homework uh, is a real issue for us. You know how at the beginning of the school year, you're always obsessed with making sure your kids get their homework done, right? If you've got kids, you're like, uh, beginning of school year, you know, it's our cousin's funeral today, mom. No, no, you have an important math worksheet that's due tomorrow, and we're going to sit and do this. And then by the end of the school year, you, like, don't care anymore, right? <laughs> it's, like, uh, it's like, mom, can I do my homework, please? And you're like, no, no, the announcer said it's a very special Big Bang Theory tonight, and so we've got to do that. We've got to watch that, you know? And so uh, last year, at the end of the school year, uh, my daughter, Audrey, who was in fourth grade, she's now going to fifth grade, she was in fourth grade, and my wife, Benita, was helping her with her math homework, and, and Benita will admit, she would tell you this if she were here, and she did give me permission to share this story, by the way, um, that she does not like math. She was not a math whiz in school, and quite honestly, even fourth grade math can be a little difficult for her, and my daughter's in the focus, so she's in the advanced, so they're doing like sixth grade math, and it's, she just doesn't remember very much, and so it's okay. She has lots of great qualities, all right? I'm not saying anything about her, but she does not like math, and she actually, near the end of last year, we were in the middle of a homework assignment, and uh, Benita was helping Audrey with it. Audrey was getting frustrated. Benita was getting frustrated, and she said, I want you to tell your teacher that I think this is stupid, and so my daughter, Audrey, who's very literal, uh, took her worksheet and she wrote, at that problem, my mom thinks this is stupid. And that was her answer to the math problem. <laughs> it's important because one of the most important things we can teach our kids as we're teaching them homework is they're, one of the things that they can learn in school and they learn through homework is about persistence, right? Persistence is an important quality to have that you, that you stick with it. I don't know if you saw this a few years ago, but they did a study um, most of you probably know or understand or you've seen the, the research that Japanese children, for instance, are much better at math tests, on standardized math tests, than American children. And so they did a study a few years ago. They wanted to find out why. And so what they did was they took some Japanese kids and some American kids, and they gave them very difficult logic problems to, to solve. And, and they put them at the table. And here's what they found out. They found out something very interesting. It wasn't that the Japanese kids were necessarily smarter than the American kids, but that they tried harder. 
that they lasted longer. In fact, the average American kid, when they, found, when they were confronted with a difficult puzzle they couldn't answer, would try for about nine and a half minutes before they gave up. The average Japanese kid would go for almost 14 minutes, nearly 50% longer. And, and these experts believe that that was the key to why the Japanese kids did so much better on the standardized test, because they had persistence. It turns out that persistence, maybe even more than intelligence, is the key to success in math. And I don't think that should su surprise us because we see it in so many other areas of our lives, right? It's not just in math. It's in almost every area uh, where persistence makes a huge difference. A few years ago, I read a book by Malcolm Glad Gladwell called Outliers. Did anybody read that? Anybody? Good. We have three people here that read. Excellent. You guys are great. This book, Outliers, is about people who've ex achieved extraordinary success in some area of their life. People like Bill Gates, uh, people like the Beatles, who have been incredibly successful in some area. And it was uh, an attempt to research and find out why these people were so successful. And in his research, Gladwell found out um, he, what he t ended up calling the 10,000-hour rule. And what he found out was for someone to be ex extraordinarily talented and successful in some area that they needed to spend 10,000 hours practicing in that area. Now, if you think about 10,000 hours, the scope of that is if you work a full-time job, you're working about 2,000 hours a year. So that's five years, 40 hours a week, uh, doing nothing but this thing. And so if you want to be a great violinist, for instance, uh, 10,000 hours. If you want to be a great uh, chef, 10,000 hours. Whatever it was, it seemed like no matter what the field was, 10,000 hours, that number was kind of magical. Well, and that makes sense that you need, what do you, what do you need to do 10,000 hours? Well, you need persistence, right? I mean, you have to have passion, sure. You've got to love what you do. Uh, you can't do anything for 10,000 hours and not love it. You've got to have uh, the availability, right? You've got to have the time to spend 10,000 hours to do it. Um, but then you also have to have persistence. Uh, for, if you're going to do something for any length of time, you've got to know that at some point you're going to fail, right? Something's not going to work out like you think it's going to. You're going to there's going to be times when you want to quit. And you're absolutely sure that what you're doing is not working. And those are the times it takes persistence. So let me ask you, should your prayer life really be any different? You know, the key scripture I want to focus on today is from the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles, you might open them to Luke chapter 18. Um, Jesus is going to tell a story. And through this story, he's going, we're going to see that prayer is really, well, it's really a discipline. It's really, in some ways, it's about persistence. It's a habit. It's a habit that needs to be cultivated over hours and hours of practice. And those hours and hours of practice in prayer are going to require that we don't give up. And so if you have your Bibles, Luke 18, we're going to start with verse 1. It says this, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who ne neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. So, so there's this judge. He's deciding a case. The widow is on one side of the case. And she keeps coming back to this judge saying, please grant me justice, grant me justice, grant me justice. Uh, for some time, verse 4, for some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, Jesus said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. And then he says, however, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, in case you don't know, if you're not very familiar with your Bible, a parable is a story that's not true. 
And this is not a true story. Jesus isn't recounting some news event here. Instead, he's made up this story. But a parable is a story that could be true because the things that happen in the parable could actually happen, right? And so Jesus would tell this story. He'd often tell these stories because a lot of times his disciples, when he tried to be straight with them, they didn't really understand. You know, he'd say things like, uh, where I'm going, you cannot go. And they're like, well, just tell us where you're going to go. We want to follow you. We want to go wherever you're going to go. But he knew that they didn't really understand. So he would tell this uh, earthly story with a heavenly lesson, all right, a parable. And so in this case, there is no unjust judge. There is no widow. So he, but he uses this earthly story to explain a concept. And so he tells a story. There's a widow and a judge. And in this story, we are like the widow, the prayers, okay? We are the widow. We are like the widow. And the judge is like God. Okay, but here's the problem. We can always take these stories too literally. We can take this story way too literally and think, okay, God is like the judge. He may answer our prayers, but he's going to do it out of exasperation. You know, if, if we keep coming to God, he's going to answer our prayers just to shut us up. That's the, that's the um, inference we can make. Is that right? Or implication? That's the implication we can take from... No, that's the inference. I was never very good at English, so... <laughs> I can rock math, but man, English, uh, that's the inference. That's what we can infer from this passage that, that uh, we can so often mistake God for being like this judge that he's going to answer our prayers, but he's going to do it because he's just tired of hearing from us. In fact, uh, the terminology that comes in, in this uh, phrase where the judge says, uh, she's wearing me out, that terminology is actually uh, like a boxing term like a, 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 a sport fighting term back in those days. Uh, you can actually think about that as like, you can see this widow like punching this judge over and over again. And wearing out. Did anybody ever play punch out, the arcade game punch out? You can almost hear the, uh, you can almost hear the body blow, body blow, body blow. That's what it's like, okay? And so like she's wearing this judge out with her request. But praying persistently isn't about beating God into submission. And notice Jesus doesn't say, well, God is like that judge. <laughs> in fact, in these parables, God is never like anything. He, he is above everything. Jesus is saying, if this judge who doesn't care about God, doesn't care about people, will eventually give in to this widow just to get her to shut up, how much more will God who loves you and is crazy about you take delight in answering your prayers? Through this story, Jesus reminds us that if first our prayers don't succeed, we should pray, pray again. In fact, one thing we can learn about this passage is an important concept about prayer. It's something we see in this story, but we see it in various stories throughout Scripture. Uh, nowhere probably more clearly than in this parable. And it's this, and this is the only thing, the only blank I've included in your notes because I think it's that important. And it's this, if we really want to be prayerful about something, if we really want to be praying hard for something, it's not enough to pray for something. You need to pray through it. You need to be pray through whatever it is. We see this concept of praying through things over and over again in Scripture. We see it in the life of King David. You know, when he prays hard, like, like during times of war, King David prays through the battle. He, he prays before going into battle. He'll say things like, uh, Lord, my God, I take refuge in you. Deliver me from my enemies. That's from one of the Psalms. He prays in the middle of battle. Why, O oh Lord, do you hide yourselves in times of trouble? And then he prays after the victory is won. He says, for you have upheld my right and my cause. You have sat on your throne judging righteously. He doesn't pray for the battle. He prays through the battle. We see this in Daniel too. Daniel, who uh, was held as a slave in the house of a foreign king, still he would bow down three times a day to, and pray to God. 
And when the royals in the house changed the rules so that no one there was allowed to pray to anyone or to worship anyone except the king, Daniel kept praying. He kept praying through. Even when he was thrown into a den of hungry lions, facing certain death, Daniel prayed. And when the next morning came and he was untouched, he said, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. We see this no more, uh, anywhere any more than in the life of Jesus, who made it a habit to go away and spend time alone with his father. You know, when things were going well, Jesus prayed. He prayed to his father. When he was on the run from his enemies, he prayed. Before he performed a miracle, he would pray. When, when he was alone in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he prayed so hard that sweat was like drops of blood falling from his skin. And even as he hung on the cross, an innocent man killed to pay for the sin of the world. Jesus prayed. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's what it means to pray through something. Because see, there comes a time in every situation, in every desperate situation, where all you can do is drop to your knees and pray through it. There comes a moment when you have to draw that circle in the sand, just like Honey did, and muster every ounce of faith you have to keep praying for a second time, or a third time, or a fifth time, or a tenth time, or a ten thousandth time. Just like this persistent widow. She wasn't getting what she wanted, so she kept going back. She kept asking. She kept knocking on the door. So if you aren't desperate, you won't take desperate measures. You won't keep praying. You'll, you'll give up. You'll not persist. You'll stop. And once you stop praying, you forfeit your chance to lay claim to the biggest miracles and the best promises of God. Because we all love miracles, don't we? We all want a miracle, but, but, but nobody wants to be in a place where they require a miracle, right? We all love it when the gravely ill person recovers, and nobody can explain why. But none of us want to be gravely ill. We, we love it when the plane should crash, but it doesn't. And nobody can explain why, but none of us want to be on a plane that's going down, right? Right? We love it when the family comes back from the brink of divorce and is restored to an even higher plane than they were before, but, but none of us want to be on the brink of divorce. We love it when we keep the house, when the check comes in the mail just in time, when we find the car keys, when we find that parking place, when we fit into that wedding dress we didn't think was going to happen, but we'll do whatever we can to avoid being in that position where it may not happen and where we have to depend on God. And that's too bad because it's in our moments of desperation that God can do the biggest miracles in our lives. It's when we're at the end of our rope and we don't know where else to turn and we're forced to pray through our circumstances and our problems and our situations. That's where God can best show himself faithful and come through in amazing ways. And so this story of the persistent widow reminds us that, that prayers, our prayers aren't so much about perfection as much as they are about persistence. There's no need to fret about how best to arrange your words to your prayers. There's no perfect combination of words and phrases and God, if it be your will, and I echo these prayers and all the other weird stuff that we say when we pray sometimes that we don't say anywhere else. We never say, I echo her comment. Nobody says that, but we echo prayers, right? We, we think these things sound so spiritual, but long before you woke up this morning, God already knew what you needed. He wants you to rely on him and he wants you to understand how much you need him. 
Maybe the best sign of a maturing Christian is that they realize how much they need God, not, not just in the miracles, but in everyday life. As I've gotten older and gotten a little more advanced in my walk with God, I, I realized how much more desperate I am for his presence in every aspect of my life. I need him to help me make decisions. I'm dependent on him to bridle my mouth sometimes because my, my flesh wants to say something that I know I shouldn't say. I, I need him to, for my next breath, it all comes from him. And the more persistently I can communicate with him, uh, scripture reminds me that, that that's good for my well-being. It helps me to pray through and pray with great confidence. Now, I just want to take a moment here and talk to those of you who ever feel like God's not hearing you. All right, if you're one of those people that always get your prayers answered exactly how you want, you can tune out for a minute, all right? But if you ever feel like God's not present or he's not answering or he's not listening to you, I've got something for you. I wanna talk to you for a minute because even though Jesus tells this story about the persistent widow and he encourages us to be persistent in our prayers, there may be times when praying about something or praying through something really feels like we're beating our head against the wall. You ever feel that, anybody? When that happens, we feel like we're making no progress at all. Well, then I think it's time that we kind of look inward and we examine ourselves and our life and our motives and see what could be hindering our prayers. That's right, even, even though God is omnipresent, meaning he is everywhere, and even though he's omniscient, meaning he's all-knowing, Scripture tells us that there are times when God won't hear our prayers or won't answer our prayers or won't respond to our prayers. And, and so I did some homework this week, and I, I hope you guys are happy about this. Um, I don't know where I put it. But in your worship, oh, here it is. In your worship program, I took the time to look up about uh, a dozen verses that talk about uh, hindered prayers and things that might hinder our prayers. And I thought it might be worthwhile for you this week if you've got a prayer that something you've been praying through, uh, something you've been praying about or you want to pray through, and you feel like God is not answering that, maybe take some time this week and read a couple of these verses every day and just see if that's an area of your life that you need to work on. Because there are maybe 12 verses there, and every one of them, Scripture has something to say about how those things could hinder your prayers. And we don't have time to cover all of them today, but I thought I'd just give you a couple of examples, uh, if that's all right. Um, one of the best-known verses in Scripture about prayer is 2 Chronicles 7.14. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says this. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. 2 Chronicles 7.14. Russ, if you could just leave that up for a minute there. Now, I hear people misuse this verse all the time, okay? Here's what it usually sounds like. Well, Christians just need to pray more. Right? That's the answer. We just all need to pray. I mean, God says, if my people will pray, there was even a song about this a few years ago. You remember, what if my people prayed? It was about this verse right here. It, but that's not what the verse says. It says, if my people who are called by my name will, what's that next word? Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their, what? Wicked ways, then... Do you remember, if you, if you did standardized tests in English, do you remember if-then statements, right? Cause and effect, right? If, cause, then, effect. Here's what God's saying. If you humble yourself and pray and seek my face and turn from your wicked ways, then, effect, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive your sin and I will heal their land. That's what that verse says. 
there's an implication in there that, like, if I'm not humble, God's not going to hear my prayers. If I'm not seeking his face in everything that I do, then maybe God's not going to hear my prayers. If, if I'm involved in some wicked ways and I'm not willing to turn from my wicked ways, then maybe God's not going to hear my prayers. There's one other example that comes from the New Testament book of Philippians. Uh, this, this will be the last one we talk about today, but there's a lot more in your worship program. Philippians 4.4 4 starts, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And then he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then verse seven, the payoff verse, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Again, I hear some people talk about this verse and they say, well, you don't have to worry, just pray. You know, pray for the peace that passes all understanding. That's a great suggestion, by the way. Okay, I'm not belittling that suggestion. That's not a bad prayer to pray for the peace that passes all understanding, but that's not what the scripture says. First, it says that you should rejoice in the Lord always. Now, that's easy when things are going well, right? But when we're in a desperate mode to pray, it's not easy to rejoice in the Lord. But what the scripture says is you should rejoice in the Lord when? Always right? Rejoice in the Lord always. It goes on to say that your gentleness should be evident to all. There's an implication here that if you're not gentle, it could hinder your prayers. In other words, if you go around starting wars with your words, then the peace that passes understanding may not be available to you. Rejoice in the Lord. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Then don't be anxious, but in every situation, present your prayers to God. And then the peace that passes all understanding, the peace that transcends all understanding, the peace of God will be yours in Christ. And so what I'm hoping you'll do this week is if you've got that one prayer that's not being answered and you feel like you've been praying through it, to take a look at your life. If you've been persistently praying for something, look down through these verses in your worship program and see if one of them may hold the key to unlock your prayers. But here's the thing about persistence, right? This isn't being the annoying child in the backseat of the car saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Persistence isn't Lois, Lois, mum, mummy, 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 mummy. That's not what it's about. So many times we find God ask, ourselves asking God the same questions over and over and over again. God, when are you going to heal this disease? God, when are you going to give us a baby? When are you going to find me a man, find me a woman, find me a roommate, find me a job? That's not praying through. Praying through is about, persi- is about patience. It's about waiting on God's timing because he knows what you need even better than you know what you need. In fact, he knew what you needed even before you knew to ask for it. But so many times we pray for something once or twice and if we don't get it, we move on to something else. But persistence is about patience. It's about praying confidently to a God who always keeps his promises. It's about taking in every new piece of information and saying, okay, God, in light of your faithfulness, how am I supposed to handle this now? How am I supposed to handle this new thing? How should I respond? What's my role? Help me, God, help me understand. Help me figure this out. Give me the wisdom. Give me the strength. Help me to see your faithfulness, even in this desperate situation. Remember, we talked about this week one, that the whole premise of prayer, prayer doesn't work unless you believe this thing, that one, that God is for you. He's crazy about you. He sent his one and only son to die on a cross in your place so that he could spend eternity with you. You and I, we were so messed up that we could never make things right with God. But he loves you so much, he sent a substitute to die in your place so that you can live forever in heaven with him. And you've got to know 
that a God that loves you that much, he wants to hear your prayers. He wants to know the desire of your heart. He wants to talk to you every day. He cares about what you care about. So let me ask you, what prayer have you given up on? What's the one thing that you've prayed for, but it sat unanswered for so long that you feel like God's not listening? Maybe it's a prayer to heal your marriage, but it feels like it's too late, but you don't want to give up, but you feel like that's the way it's going. You've got to pray through that. God doesn't want your marriage to end. Scripture says that God hates divorce. It doesn't say that God hates very many things, but Scripture says God hates divorce. Maybe it's your child, your son or your daughter. He, he or she's made some poor decisions, and they've, they've gone off the rails. They're running with the wrong crowd. You've given up on praying for him or for her. Don't give up. You are the only mom or the only dad that they have. They need you to pray through this. I mean, aren't you glad that God didn't give up on you when you were running off the rails? Maybe it's with a job or your financial situation. You feel like you can't find the right job or you can't get a job. You can't work. No matter how much you work, you can't get ahead financially. You need to pray through that because maybe you can't get the numbers to work, but in God's economy, the math always works out perfectly. Maybe you've been praying that the Lord would give you a baby. You can't understand why all your friends are getting pregnant, even on accident. But here you are trying and praying and crying out to God and nothing. Don't stop. Don't give up. You need to pray through. Here's what I want to encourage you with this week. You've got an old prayer somewhere that you need to dust off. And God is waiting to hear from you. He's looking for the chance to prove himself faithful. Maybe you're you're not even a Christian, and prayer feels really weird to you. I get that. I've been right where you are. I mean, even today, I've spent more of my life not as a Christian than as a Christian. But what I found was that when I trusted God with just a little bit, he was more than faithful with that. So I could trust him with a little bit more, and then a little more until eventually I realized I could trust him with my life. After all, God made the first move. He loved me enough that even when I rebelled, he was still pursuing me. And that's the same for you too. Even when I looked the other way, he sacrificed for me. I was running from God as fast as I could. But scripture tells us that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. That through his blood, through the death of Jesus, we've been reconciled to God. We've found a way back to him. The chasm between us and God, which seems so wide, was bridged by the cross. And we get to celebrate that today together as we take communion. Here's what we believe about communion at Genesis Church. Anyone here who's a believer in Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ, can take communion. You don't have to be part of this church. Um, There are four tables. There are two in the front and two in the back of the room. You can go to the one closest to you. Uh, Here's what I'd like you to do. You can go as soon as I'm done here. uh, You can go and pick up uh, one of the cups, which is actually two cups together. There's the bread in the bottom and the juice in the top. Make sure you get two cups. Bring it back to your seat, and when everybody's got their elements, we'll take it together. You can go ahead and make your way up here or back there.
Here's what we celebrate in communion. On the night before he was to be crucified, Christ uh, gathered his closest disciples around him and they ate together. And uh, he was speaking to his friends and his disciples, but he had this moment thousands of years later in mind when we would get together and celebrate that. And he took the bread and he broke it and he reminded the people at the table. He said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you take it, remember me. Let's take that together. And then scripture tells us that he passed the cup around the table and the cup was full of wine and he said, this is my blood that will be spilled for you. When you take it, remember me. Let's take that together. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for that sacrifice that even while we ran and rebelled, you ran after us. You you pursued us, that you came to earth to be with us. We thank you for that. We thank you that that means that shows us that you want a relationship with us. You want us to talk to you. You want us to pray to you. You want us to be desperate for you. And I think for so many of us, that's what we need in our lives. We need just a little more desperation. Some of us are so self-sufficient. We can, we can handle most of what life throws at us on our own. We don't need you. So many of us look at religion and at, at, at God as a crutch. Lord, you never wanted to be our crutch. You wanted to be everything to us. You want to be our friend and our king and our savior. And you showed that through the cross. And so we thank you for that, God. We thank you that we have the opportunity to come before you to celebrate the work you did on the cross and to, to pray to you and know with great confidence that you hear us, Lord, and you tell us you wanna hear the desires of your, our heart. We just pray this week that, God, we can take a deep look at ourselves and see what's hindering our prayers and that we could continue to be faithful in praying to you because we know that you're always faithful to us. We thank you for that, God. And even as we come to you in worship, we pray that these words will be pleasing to your ears. We pray these things in Jesus' name.